0: My name is Ellie Cody, and this is Manhattan Sideways. On today's episode, I interview Judith Lowry, Naomi Hampel, and Adina Cohen, the three sisters behind the Argosy bookstore. Here's what Betsy Bober polovey founder of Manhattan Sideways, had to say about this business.
1: The three sisters, Judith, Naomi, and Adina, were kind enough to sit down with us and share some of their childhood memories. Despite the creaking of the chairs and the noises from the traffic outside on East 59th Street, We managed to have a lively and fascinating conversation while sitting on the fifth floor of the building that houses the vast collection of books, maps, and prints with items dating back to the 1700s. Known as one of the oldest independent bookstores in the city, we listened to the women reminisce about Argosy Bookstore, the shop that their dad founded in 1925 and then moved to its present location in 1964. Ellie and I were totally entertained by the adventures that each of them had with their dad. They learned early on how to decipher a first edition, an authentic signature, and how to politely say no thank you to certain books being offered to them. When we completed our interview, we rode back down in the elevator with the sisters and a gentleman who had been perusing their shelves. We all had a good laugh when he casually said to no one in particular, I come here all the time. I think my wife would prefer I have an affair at this point. It would be cheaper than all that I purchase here.
0: So if I could just please have you each introduce yourselves going around this way. Um, And then one of you please tell me the name of your business.
2: I am Adina and I'm the youngest of three sisters. One of the owners of the Argosy bookstore that my father started. Sitting next to you, I'm Judith and I'm the oldest of the three.
3: I am Naomi, the middle. All
0: right, and could you please tell me about how this store was started by your father?
3: Our father was very poor, lived in the Lower East Side, and got a part-time job after high school by applying to a store that was advertising for a helper, general helper. And when the owner came out and found a whole collection of boys, outside for the job he asked is anybody here type and my father typed and he got the job and in working in the store he fell in love with books and when he had a few extra nickels or dimes he would buy one and he would bring it home so he kept the books in this tenement apartment and they overflowed eventually under the bed, in the kitchen, in the, someplace in the bathroom, whatever. He had books just tucked away. and That
4: was after he had decided that he was going to have a bookstore. But when he first had this after-school job, he just loved the job and said to the owner one day, I wish I could have a bookstore like this one day. It was Dalburn and Pine, the bookstore. And it was Mr. Dauber said, I hope you'll have an even nicer one.
3: Oh, yeah. And oh. it happened. <laughs> yeah. And
0: how did he find the space to start his bookstore?
3: Well, this was in 1925 and he was about 22 or something like that. He borrowed $500 from an uncle. And with $500 in that day you had enough money to put a deposit on on a store and build shelves and a sign and all that. And he did, and... He and got uh, three
4: months free rent at that time. He oh, that's right. A, but the story of his bringing books home, after he had started to open a bookstore and had no stock at all, uh, he would go to auctions and buy bundles of books. Uh, for a couple of dollars, he could buy bundles of books, and he kept them in his mother's home under the bed in the closet until there was really no more room. And it, at that point, he rented the store and put books sideways on the shelf so they would take up more room. The shelves would look fuller. Mm -hmm. But he never stopped buying books. And gradually the shelves were
0: completely full with the books. And what was it like growing up around the bookshop?
3: He came home with stories, and when we had dinner, he would always say who came in who was eccentric or problem or wonderful.
4: What he bought, what he sold. And as, as children, on Saturdays, we would come down to work. We would sharpen pencils, straighten the books up on the shelf. We hung around.
2: But he did not
4: encourage us to work here. Which was was a good idea.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Which I think was under under the instruction of our mother. I think she said, "Whatever you do, don't ask them to work here, because psychologically, I think she was right." Because
0: he wanted you to work here. Yes, Yes. Yes. desperately. We all thought it was our own (laughs) idea, and he allowed us to. Yeah. (laughs) So when
3: I asked him right after, just as I was about to graduate from college, I said, "I "I can start working." He said, "No." <laughs> well, I was so shocked and he said no you can't work here first job you have to have a mean boss who will make you come to work on time and won't let you smoke and won't let you make personal phone calls and so on and so on and I ended but up saying I'll be good I'll be good but you, did.
4: But you never oh. had another job
3: no I didn't so he said well <laughs> alright we'll try it mm-hmm. yeah, and he, then
4: uh, you stayed mm-hmm. but I was already there So I had been an English major in college, which didn't equip me for any kind of job. And I thought I would go to teacher's college, then I could teach. There weren't too many opportunities for women in those days, that was the 1950s. You could be a teacher, a librarian, or a nurse. Those were about your choices.
3: Or a housekeeper.
4: (laughs) So I signed up at teacher's college and the work was pretty easy. And I spent my spare time working here to make money. And I found I was cutting classes because I didn't want to leave. So I dropped out after the first semester.
0: And Adina, what about you?
2: I didn't have any plan in mind either. And Naomi told me that I should work here. So I just followed. I took a week off after college and then started full time.
0: What made you all want to come work here? What made you love it when you started working here?
2: He told us so many stories that were intriguing. Not to tempt us, but it was very tempting to hear about the various people he saw, the various homes he went into, the types of books that he found, and negotiating. And,
4: and each day of work was interesting. T- no day was exactly like another day. You never knew who was gonna walk in either with something for sale or asking for something they wanted, which we happen to have. Or just killing time. Or, and finding the right book for the
0: right person is very satisfying. Can you share some of the memorable stories that your father brought home?
3: Well, one day, um, a doctor walked in and asked if we, we bought medical books. And yes, we do. He said, well, I have medical books for sale. It turns out that this Doctor lived in Hartford, Connecticut, and had a son who he was hoping would go into the book business, so he bought a lot of medical books. And the son was in the army, and he uh, was killed in the army, was that? I didn't, I didn't know he you was know a doctor. Well, Dr. Yeah.
4: Hart used to be but a customer who didn't. bought books outside for 50 cents. When Dr. Hart came in and, and said, would you come and look at my books to buy them, my father really didn't want to go. He thought they were all cheap books, the kind that Dr. Hart had been buying. Like, he'd come in at lunchtime every day and buy a few 50-cent books, but out of courtesy he went. And when he got there... We, have, know, different we have different <laughs> memories. different <laughs> He lived in Connecticut. Yes. Yeah, so he yeah. went to Connecticut. And...
3: So why did he come in here to buy his books from he to New worked, York?
4: He worked in New York. Let me tell it as as I remember hearing the story, because this was before we worked here. He went to Dr. Hart's home and looked around, didn't see any books. He thought maybe they were in the basement or another room. But no, they had to go by car to another house. Dr. Hart had bought another building to house his books because there were too many to fit in his house. And uh, when he came in the house, there were books all over. There were books in the hallways. There were books in the bathroom, in the bathtub every room was shelved it was just an enormous collection of books and they weren't just the 50 cent books he had been buying elsewhere so the subjects went everywhere from animal husbandry to uh... it
3: was entirely medical books entirely the house was I in think Hartford, Connecticut. It
4: with
3: the, Schumann you, collection. Yes. the Schumann, I. Dr. Hart. I'm talking yeah. about Dr. Uh, Hart in Connecticut. Schumann
4: was all medical. Dr. Hart had everything from no. medicine, animal this husband, is all irrelevant, And it is irrelevant.
0: Is that yeah. true? I, for the record, I have five siblings. I'm yes. one of six. So uh-huh. I. this is very familiar. I'm the second youngest. You? Yeah. This so
4: the thing is, they did somehow come to an agreement about price. But the problem was how to bring these books back to New York. They were just too much to handle. So um, they decided that once a week, my father would drive up with a car, load the car with books, drive back to New York. The car was sagging with books. And uh, unload the books, go over them, and a, a week or two later, he'd go back for another load. And I believe, Naomi, you went with him once? I
3: did. I was 10 or 11 years old. Uh, so this
4: went on for about a year. And the house was slowly being emptied, but it still is far from, from being empty. When something terrible happened, Dr. Hart had an offer for the house, and he wanted to sell it. And there was no way all the books could be absorbed at once. So my father made an offer for the house. He bought the house and then emptied it at his leisure, which took another year. When the house was empty, he sold the house. And so that was the story of probably the biggest library we ever bought.
0: And now, what are each of your roles in in the business? How do you... We level? overlap. We all try to do
4: everything, so we all buy books. We all go out to people's homes, and this is really the fun part of the business. When either someone dies or moves or divorces, uh, there are a lot of reasons people sell books in New York. And uh, we just get to go to some very outside of New York. interesting homes and situations to buy books. So we all do that. But within the store, we have specialties. Naomi does autographs. I do first editions. This is the first editions room here. Uh, Dina does a little of everything. The the gallery and the prints, and we all do everything. We still sharpen pencils. <laughs> <laughs> we should say that we are an out of print. And rare books. We don't sell new books at all. Mm-hmm. And so everything we have is used. And sometimes we say we're in the recycling business. Nothing gets lost. The books are sold, but if a book is damaged, missing pages, but it has a nice binding, we'll take the cover off. And we sell pretty covers of books separately. People use them for, for collage or they frame them. Uh, and a lot of books have marbled end papers we take those papers out and sell them. And they are used for everything, for collage, for <laughs> mounting photographs,
2: for oh, and making... bought some for a guest bathroom, to use as a wallpaper. Mm-hmm. Yes. What other parts of books do we use? Oh,
3: Old illustrations, and the sometimes a book is illustrated, but <clears throat> it's unsalable, because it has no binding, or it has no... Mm-hmm. We look and see if the illustrations are worth
4: saving. And then after we've saving. taken yeah. the cover off, and the marbled papers and the illustrations, we throw the rest in the garbage, and people go through the garbage and take (laughs) 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 put the the trash out once a week and people do go over the barrels picking up bits and pieces of books. We carry every kind of book from reading copies of classic books to books on the history of science and medicine. We have a huge American history department. We have a first editions department which are first editions of literary works of the mostly 20th century. Um, We have an autograph department with autographs of famous people in the past and celebrities um, which we sell often framed with photographs or portraits of the person.
2: The gallery is unique with antique maps and prints of all over the place. Very, very, very well classified so that you could say I'd like a book on snakes or I'd like Imprints print. on cherry trees, or everything is findable.
0: Actually, I wanted to ask if you could map out for me what each floor is used for. Mm-hmm. So you have six floors. Yes. So the first floor is the sort of the library. The Well, the it's, it's, of seven, it's actually seven
3: floors because the basement is uh, has the most books of any place, and that's not always counted. So the. The basement isn't just totally browsing of not expensive secondhand books and many, many subjects.
4: 40,000 books in the basement?
3: Maybe. Yeah, it's enormous. We
2: might have pulled that out. Huge
3: fiction section, huge biography, and then science and music and poetry and everything. So that's Mm -hmm. the basement. Mm
2: -hmm. The store is a a smattering of different things we have leather binding, architecture section, uh, art section, photography section. On the, fair, on the first Yeah, floor. and a lot of uh,
3: inexpensive prints, $3, $10, $20, $25, mm-hmm. and so on. Very accessible, things that Someone make people happy. today
2: from Europe and said, do you have any other architecture books? Because we have about 10 shelves of architecture in the store. And I said, well, we have thousands of others, and here's our website so that we can't fit everything on the main floor. So mm-hmm. it's a huge inventory. Yeah. So, the this first floor is where the floor, action is. The second is, floor is maps and prints.
3: Right? Um, it's the gallery that my mm-hmm. mother started.
4: Third floor is storage. Fourth, fourth floor, floor is the storage. office packing department and storage.
3: Storage of rare books around the fourth floor. And um, this is
4: just the fifth the floor, first floor, first floor. First edition in American, American history history. Sixth floor, yeah.
0: autographs. What are some that of that the one? wildest books that you've had?
3: Wildest.
2: Well, we have a first folio, Shakespeare.
4: Oh, like okay.
2: that. Like that. Yeah,
4: just like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> Robert's music. The, the, the Holy House Land. A hundred thousand dollar book.
2: A six volume book mm-hmm. with fabulous lithographs of the Holy Land in the Middle East. I bought a when I first started, I was sitting in somebody's Park Avenue apartment, sitting on the floor looking at the books, and the owner was sitting in a chair and there was a book there, Alice in Wonderland, and he said I don't think that's the first edition, and I really wasn't sure if the first edition was 68 or 69 or 61. And I bought his books, and it turned out that not only was it a first edition, but it was Charles Dodgson's initials in the book. He didn't know about it. I didn't know about it. Who so came um, home and my father <laughs> recognized
3: it. And I thought, oh, it's that was Hyde. Dodgson so was Lewis Carroll.
2: Dodgson uh, was his name. Yeah. It
3: was Lewis, Lewis Car- Carroll, yeah.
4: And we had for a long time a copy of Catch 22, which was signed by Heller, the author, to his English teacher in college, and saying, without you, I never would have written this book or any other book. And this was such a wonderful dedication, a shout-out to a teacher, that it made the book very special. So I priced it very high because I didn't want to sell it. I priced it $10,000, and then once someone almost bought it, so I raised the price to 11000 <laughs> 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 And I finally did sell it for $11,000, and I was sorry to see it go. We were once going over some books that we bought. That typically, we buy books, they come in in cartons, and then we sit down at the table together and go over them one by one. And there was a ordinary biography of someone, and um, a piece of paper was sticking out, and I pulled it out. I said, that looks just like Gertrude Stein's handwriting. <laughs> and I see it's signed Gertrude. <laughs> and it was a letter from Gertrude Stein in a biography of Abraham Lincoln. How it got there, we don't know, but it was... Definitely a lovely surprise.
0: Do you have people calling up about things that are sort of personally sentimental that you know they feel should be valuable? Oh and a lot. A lot. Yes. yes. How do you handle that kind of
2: situation?
3: You or, always flatter them. Yes. So Never t- lesson, well. right. this yeah. is
2: a wonderful yeah. Bible. This is a terrific whatever and it's very interesting. Should, uh, yeah. be take happy care a bit, of it but yeah. it's not for us I right know,
4: you can say it doesn't have a lot of commercial value but it has obviously a lot of sentimental value and you should treasure it
0: we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor but we'll continue the interview after the break so don't go away and if you're interested in sponsoring an episode of the Manhattan Sideways podcast please reach out to us at betsy at sideways dot nyc we look forward to hearing from you
1: Creative Core is a boutique Pilates studio located on West 23rd Street in Chelsea. What sets Creative Core apart from other fitness studios is that they offer an intimate Pilates setting. With only four clients per class, every session is semi-private with hands-on corrections and personalized attention. You won't get lost in the crowd like you can at other large fitness studios. The classes are challenging and fast-paced and the instructors are highly trained with dance backgrounds to guide you through each 50-minute class. With a variety of equipment and creative instructors, your workout will never be the same and you will never get bored. Creative Core also has all the amenities you need to refresh after a muscle-burning, sweat-dripping class. New clients can get their first two semi-private classes for just $38 and 15% off their first package. Looking for a private trainer? Creative Core offers private training sessions on and off site. Stay up to date on everything Creative Core at Creative Core NYC on Instagram.
3: I was just thinking that when our father took us around, as he would go along the shelves, and I would be right next to him, he would just very, very quietly whisper, like, oh, that's a good one. This doesn't, this is not good because, very quiet. So I could hear, you know, I could hear how he was thinking. And then he would negotiate and give a price. And he was very kind and very open. And he said that a buy is not good unless both parties are happy. So, You have to leave somebody feeling good about what you're paying and how you're going to handle it because books are very personal and precious. So that was very important for me to hear. That It's the way you talk to people is very important and hear what they say and how they feel about books.
0: Are there other lessons that you have carried on from your father in running the business?
3: He was very kind. Uh, He was so well well liked that... uh, I remember Barney Rosenthal, another book dealer, said, your father is the only person that I've never heard a bad word against from other dealers, because mm-hmm. they a lot of infighting, I guess. But Everybody liked him. Mm-hmm. He was very quiet and very kind, and he preferred poor customers to rich customers. Mm-hmm. Oh, he was nice to everybody, but he really had a heart for people who came in who couldn't afford a book. And for years, I heard stories stories from various people who said, when I was young, I couldn't afford it. Your father said, pay me whatever you can and come back if you, you know, whatever. Or he lowered the price and he just liked to make people happy.
2: And how long did he stay involved in the business? For last minute. Mm-hmm.
3: Until- he, he worked
2: came. on Saturday and died on the Sunday.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't like to go on vacation, because mm-hmm. he'd rather be here.
0: And were you all working full time with him yeah. up until the end yes. too? Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. yeah. So this the transition was really seamless. Um, it just kept going. It was, we were all here for decades, mm-hmm. so that was uh, a very good thing.
0: And your mother also continued working here for a very long time. Yes, mm-hmm. I think the New York article said until yes. she was 96. She, she died at 98. And worked till she was 96. <laughs> yeah. 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 And only because she
2: physically so she was couldn't come to work. work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: So but you can pace yourself. It's the, the kind of atmosphere where you don't have to be on your feet all the time. And do you get time away from the business as well? Or Do you all, want it? We've all done a lot of traveling. Yes. You took Do you a bring books back from off, your travels?
0: No. Of no. No, they're heavy.
3: <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> have them sent. Yeah, I took a year off after I was working on about ten years, and I lived in France. I lived in Paris, mm-hmm. and then I got bored, but I didn't want to come home, so I started going to bookstores, and it ended up I bought a lot of books and had them shipped. So it was a nice combination.
2: If you're traveling in any country and. You want to find a bookstore of old books. It takes you into the most amazing neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So it's a wonderful way to, to travel, to have a goal. It takes you mm-hmm. where you wouldn't expect to be.
3: But then I was sitting having coffee, and I saw some old woman sweeping with a straw broom, the sidewalk, the gutter, and she was in an old dress and an old babushka, and I thought, she's so lucky. She knows what she's going to do every day. <laughs> and I said, "Oh, it's time for me to go home." You know, I, just, I was jealous, but that took almost a year.
2: Do you <laughs> enjoy working together? We're yes. very good together. Yes, because we don't even have to say anything, and I know what they're thinking. <laughs> and if you come yeah. in and you want to sell this book, and I'm thinking about it, I just look at her face, and I know what she's thinking.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, but we consult a lot with each other, Mm -hmm. a lot, and if something is the slightest bit unusual or special, extraordinary, whatever, we...
4: uh, We we all have to agree, so it's never two against one, but this comes up only if it's something major, it doesn't come up every day. Were you always close?
3: It was like a rubber band, sometimes this way, sometimes this Mm -hmm. way. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. well, there's a
2: six year difference, so...
0: Mm. And one of your sons is involved in the business. Yes, my
4: son, Ben, is the next generation.
0: And is he full-time here? He it's is good, full-time.
4: Yeah. He, um, he was a very good ski bum for a long time. He was a, a ski bum. He was supporting himself in Colorado skiing, so we couldn't say, it's time to come home. He had a girlfriend in New York. And, um, well, he really wanted to go to San Francisco but that was too expensive and he didn't have a job. And I said, well, come home and do a website for us. This was before we had a website. And then you can have on your resume that you do websites because he had studied design and he did. He came and uh, in the one month that he was working on our website, he just became involved and never
0: left and married his girlfriend. And do you see him staying involved in the business? Oh yes, he's he's very much involved.
3: He's, yeah, he's very important. Yeah, took over a lot of stuff that.
4: And he has two children yeah. who come in here on Saturdays.
0: <laughs> so I do know that your father started the business out of a brownstone next door, mm-hmm. which ultimately got bought mm-hmm. and knocked down. It is now a skyscraper. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> like many of the buildings on mm-hmm. this block. Um, But when he moved into this building where you still are, what was his idea for the business and for expanding the business?
2: He wasn't thinking of expanding. He bought this building way before anyone thought about tearing that one down. For protection. For protection, just in case.
4: Because he was on a month-to-month lease and knew that he could have to move
2: at a moment's notice. So we had, there was a bar on the ground floor, and our gallery on the second floor, and other tenants. In the building, and then when they announced they were leaving, then we moved the inventory over, and we're all in one place. But as we grew, we also had two warehouses in Brooklyn for less expensive books that we no longer have.
0: So the collection has shifted over time away from the less expensive books.
4: We huh. still carry both, but the internet so, has made a big change in the book business. Um, books that uh, used to sell for twenty or thirty dollars are now. Readily available for two and three dollars. So I think the trend is to finding and selling more unusual books
0: How do you feel you've adjusted to mm. that change?
4: Pretty well. We're still adjusting still and, we, and we still carry the less expensive books because people are still coming in looking
2: for something to read. It's a mixture, you can buy a book for a dollar here and you can buy a book for $100,000 here. The whole range, and everything so it's, so the people that we come in contact with are also enormously varied, and that makes it more interesting. I think rather than just handling high spots you know, and having 10 mm-hmm. wonderful books, it's fun to handle everything.
0: Can you tell me more about your customers? A big range.
4: Well, I remember ringing the bell, and a woman in a negligee answers the door and said, "Oh, I was expecting a man." She <laughs> <laughs> might have spoken to is.
2: my father on the phone, and he said, "We'll be over there." <laughs> and uh, um, I answered the door on East 72nd Street. But he was wearing a towel. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> did you go in? I did. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there was another one. It was in the upper 80s, which was not in a great neighborhood then, in a tenement. And outside, there were a few men playing cards in an empty lot. And I walked into an empty building, following a man up to the third or fourth floor. And I'm saying to myself, as I'm going up the stairs, no one knows where you are. You know, you could just, like, pre-cell phones, am I great, whatever. So, and anyway, we walked into this room, which was like this. It was like beautiful books, everything was fine. I don't think I bought them, but it made me think, what should I have done? I still don't know. But Because you you're just ringing <laughs> the doorbell. and We and, get a uh, lot
4: of phone calls, yeah. and you have to sort of analyze the phone call to see if it's really worthwhile going. Once a super called up, a tenant had left, and I said, and sort of how many books? Oh, there's a lot of books, and what, what sort of books? She must have had everything Dickinson ever wrote. And uh, that sounded interesting. So indeed, someone had left a lot of Emily Dickinson's first editions. And that was a good one. Sometimes. The kind of, of kind of customers has changed over the years. We used to sell a lot to libraries. Uh, major public libraries like New York Public, Detroit Public Library was a major institution. and then university libraries, Brown, the Ivy Leagues, but little schools were building their libraries and building their rare book libraries. So they were big customers, not so much anymore. Libraries are spending their money now on digital.
2: We do very well with off the street customers because you never, people who have walked down the street and have never been down the street before, their wife is in Bloomingdale's and uh, they've become very good customers. If we weren't at street level, we would miss so much.
0: And your street level entrance does draw the eye it's very you have a little cozy nook of books outside that
3: was our mother's idea because they took a a trip to England once and some bookstores that had an arcade and when we moved she said why don't you do that and we created that it wasn't there so uh, that makes it very distinguishable
2: but many people have been here and they said, I've been walking down the street for ten years and I've never been inside. Sometimes I stand at the front door and watch the
4: crowds coming down the street. Across the street there was a store for rent and they were advertising forty thousand people a day walk down the street. And it's probably true. But most of them are looking at their phones or they're just heading for the subway and they don't look to the right or the left. But out of those 40,000 people, enough do look to the right or the left and and wander in.
0: And then you find that they continue to come back to the store.
4: Yes. Well, we have regulars who come in, they work in the neighborhood and they spend their lunch hour here every day.
3: Yeah, a lot of tourists are now coming in because we're in a lot of, we're in the guidebooks Mm -hmm. and,
0: and you were in the New Yorker.
3: The New Yorker, yes. that was a that was big push, awesome. yeah, very helpful. So people find us in word of mouth. They, mm-hmm. People from Australia, from everywhere in the world, mm-hmm. they come in and because and somebody came and like, they went home and they 10 years later talked later, about I mean, yeah. it. So they we always have,
0: say, I'm so glad you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> How have you managed to stay here for so long? We, we talk to a lot mm-hmm. of small businesses. We yes. know that this is very difficult. Mm-hmm. What, what do you do? Well, we own the building.
3: That's the only reason. And that's
0: the only way, because it's
3: if we were reason.
2: to rent six floors in a building on the street, we, we wouldn't be in business for a week. I was in the Hamptons this past weekend, and there was a handbag store, Crow, who I've passed on Madison Avenue, and they just gave up their New York store after a 10-year lease because the rent went up to over a million dollars a month.
4: A million dollars a month? A month.
2: And their handbags are expensive because they're real animals, or so So they just gave it up. So you can't sell dollar books or $5 books or $50 books and exist.
0: How do you feel it impacts your business to be in New York in particular?
3: It's total because people find their way here. And first of all, the people who live in New York is tremendous, and a lot of people are book interested. But um, tourists come and uh, word of mouth.
0: And how about the neighborhood in particular, being on the Upper East Side?
2: It's very mixed because you have Bloomingdale's, we used to have Alexander's, and you, it's uh, in between. It's not exclusive fancy and... We're,
4: we're in the middle of a neighborhood where there are lots of working people who pass by or come in, and, uh, and again, people on their way to other places. It's a busy street.
0: You have a new neighbor coming in next door, a new building, right?
4: Mm-hmm. There's, not there's, really. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mess. Uh, okay. It's an unfinished project. There's a hole in the ground next to our building.
3: So it's over five six years there. About yeah. six
4: or seven years. Company dug the hole and then walked away from
2: the project. It was like a 44-story
4: luxury condo. Eventually someone will buy the hole and build a building, but not in the near
2: future.
0: Given all the changes in the city, where do you see the future of the business?
2: I think that the business can continue because it's unique and unusual. There'll always be people reading. And it changed when paperbacks came in. The nature of the business changed and it changed when the internet came in. And so the nature may change, but I think there'll always be people, enough people of interest, readers or collectors.
3: Yeah, they say people aren't reading anymore, but those who do find us. And that seems to be enough right now.
4: And I think the younger generation will return to books away from digital. They
2: will discover books again. People get such joy when they walk in. We have a section of books that are 17th century and 18th century. And they, they're afraid to touch them, and we have them in a place where it's you want it. It's an open shelf. Mm-hmm. And they get so excited. It's like I'm holding a piece of paper that's 300 years old or 400. And
4: people always say, may it, I it's, touch. Yeah, And they it's, all it's, say, may I take a photograph, which 20 years ago in the same store, no one asked to take a photograph. All the time. Of course, it's easy to photograph now with your phone. But half the people ask, may I take a photograph, and the other people just photograph away without asking, and we don't mind. We ask them to put it
0: on Facebook. Can you talk more about how you use social media and your website?
4: Well, we have a website, and we sell a lot of books online. Social media, We one of our younger staff members takes care of our Facebook and my, Instagram, Facebook, and no, so forth. And I don't know if we get much business from it, but we do you it,
0: and it's enjoyable. It's good feedback. Mm-hmm. So we always like to ask if there's anything that you hope for people to know about you or about Argosy that you feel they don't already know that we can share for you.
3: We still love every single day, and every day is different
0: people
4: should feel comfortable coming in. Sometimes people are intimidated. We get both ends. People see the cheap books outside and they come in and say, can you change a $10 bill? (laughs) And and other people who are intimidated, they think it's the kind of library that you need permission to come in. But uh, we welcome everybody.
0: Thanks so much for listening. My name is Ellie, and this has been a podcast by Manhattan Sideways. If you're interested in learning more about this business or about the thousands of other small businesses on the side streets of Manhattan, be sure to check out our website, www.sideways.nyc, and follow us on social media at nysideways. See you next time.